Welcome to Bite at a Time Books, where we read you your favorite classics one bite at a time. My name is Brie Carlisle, and I love to read and wanted to share my passion with listeners like you. If you want to know what's coming next and vote on upcoming books, sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com. You'll also find our new t-shirts in the shop, including podcast shirts and quote shirts from your favorite classic novels. Be sure to follow my show on your favorite podcast platform so you get all the new episodes. You can find most of our links in the show notes. But also our website, biteatatimebooks.com, includes all of the links for our show, including to our Patreon to support the show, and YouTube, where we have special behind-the-narration of the episodes. We're part of the Bite at a Time Books Productions Network. If you'd also like to hear what inspired your favorite classic authors to write their novels— and what was going on in the world at the time, check out the Bite at a Time books behind the story podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please note, while we try to keep the text as close to the original as possible, some words have been changed to honor the marginalized communities who've identified the words as harmful and to stay in alignment with Bite at a Time books' brand values. Today we'll be continuing Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter 16. Taming the Colt "'What in the world is that boy doing?' said Mrs. Joe to herself, as she watched Dan running round the half-mile triangle as if for a wager. He was all alone and seemed possessed by some strange desire to run himself into a fever, or break his neck, for after several rounds he tried leaping walls and turning somersaults up the avenue— and finally dropped down on the grass before the door as if exhausted. "'Are you training for a race, Dan?' asked Mrs. Joe from the window where she sat. He looked up quickly, and stopped panting to answer with a laugh. "'No, I'm only working off my steam. Can't you find a cooler way of doing it? You'll be ill if you tear about so in such warm weather,' said Mrs. Joe laughing also, as she threw him out a great palm-leaf fan. "'Can't help it.' I must run somewhere, answered Dan, with such an odd expression in his restless eyes that Mrs. Joe was troubled and asked quickly, Is Plumfield getting too narrow for you? I wouldn't mind it if it was a little bigger. I like it, though. Only the fact is, the devil gets into me sometimes, and then I do want to bolt. The word seemed to come against his will, for he looked sorry the minute they were spoken and seemed to think he deserved a reproof for his ingratitude. But Mrs. Joe understood the feeling, and though sorry to see it, she could not blame the boy for confessing it. She looked at him anxiously, seeing how tall and strong he had grown, how full of energy his face was, with its eager eyes and resolute mouth, and remembering the utter freedom he had known for years before. She felt how even the gentle restraint of this home would weigh upon him at times when the old lawless spirit stirred in him. Yes, she said to herself, my wild hawk needs a larger cage, and yet if I let him go, I'm afraid he'll be lost. I must try and find some lure strong enough to keep him safe. I know all about it, she added aloud. It is not the devil, as you call it, but the very natural desire of all young people for liberty— I used to feel just so, and once I really did think for a minute that I would bolt. Why didn't you? said Dan, coming to lean on the low window ledge with an evident desire to continue the subject. I knew it was foolish, 
and love for my mother kept me at home. I haven't got any mother, began Dan. I thought you had now, said Mrs. Joe, gently stroking the rough hair off his hot forehead. You're no end good to me, and I can't ever thank you enough, but it just isn't the same, is it? And Dan looked up at her with a wistful, hungry look that went to her heart. No, dear, it is not the same and never can be. I think an own mother would have been a great deal to you. But as that cannot be, you must try to let me fill her place. I fear I've not done all I ought, or you would not want to leave me, she added sorrowfully. Yes, you have, cried Dan eagerly. I don't want to go, and I won't go if I can help it. But every now and then I feel as if I must burst out somehow. I want to run straight ahead somewhere, to smash something or pitch into somebody. Don't know why, but I do, and that's all about it. Dan laughed as he spoke. But he meant what he said, for he knit his black brows and brought down his fist on the ledge with such force that Mrs. Joe's thimble flew off into the grass. He brought it back, and as she took it, she held the big brown hand a minute, saying with a look that showed the words cost her something, "'Well, Dan, run if you must, but don't run very far, and come back to me soon, for I want you very much.' He was rather taken aback by this unexpected permission to play truant, and somehow it seemed to lessen his desire to go. He did not understand why. But Mrs. Joe did, and knowing the natural perversity of the human mind counted on it to help her now. She felt instinctively that the more the boy was restrained, the more he would fret against it. But leave him free, and the mere sense of liberty would content him, joined to the knowledge that his presence was dear to those whom he loved best. It was a little experiment, but it succeeded for Dan stood silent a moment, unconsciously picking the fan to pieces and turning the matter over in his mind. He felt that she appealed to his heart and his honor and owned that he understood it by saying presently, with a mixture of regret and resolution in his face, I won't go yet a while, and I'll give you fair warning before I bolt. That's fair, isn't it? Yes, we will let it stand so, now I want to see if I can't find some way for you to work off your steam better than running about the place like a mad dog, spoiling my fans, or fighting with the boys. What can we invent? And while Dan tried to repair the mischief he had done, Mrs. Joe racked her brain for some new device to keep her truant safe until he had learned to love his lessons better. How would you like to be my express man? She said as a sudden thought popped into her head. Go into town and do the errands? asked Dan, looking interested at once. Yes, Franz is tired of it. Silas cannot be spared just now, and Mr. Bear has no time. Old Andy is a safe horse. You're a good driver and know your way about the city as well as a postman. Suppose you try it and see if it won't do most as well to drive away two or three times a week as to run away once a month. I'd like it ever so much. Only I must go alone and do it all myself." I don't want any of the other fellows bothering round, said Dan, taking to the new idea so kindly that he began to put on business airs already. If Mr. Bear does not object, you shall have it all your own way. I suppose Emil will growl, but he cannot be trusted with horses, and you can. By the way, tomorrow is market day, and I must make out my list. You'd better see that the wagon is in order and tell Silas to have the fruit and vegetables ready for mother. You'll have to be up early and get back in time for school. Can you do that? I'm always an early bird, so I don't mind. 
and Dan slung on his jacket with despatch. The early bird got the worm this time, I'm sure, said Mrs. Joe merrily. And a jolly good worm it is, answered Dan as he went laughing away to put a new lash to the whip, wash the wagon, and order Silas about with all the importance of a young expressman. Before he's tired of this, I'll find something else and have it ready for when the next restless fit comes on, said Mrs. Joe to herself, as she wrote her list with a deep sense of gratitude that all her boys were not Dan's. Mr. Bear did not entirely approve of the new plan, but agreed to give it a trial which put Dan on his mettle, and caused him to give up certain wild plans of his own in which the new lash and the long hill were to have borne a part. He was up and away very early the next morning heroically resisting the temptation to race with the milkman going into town. Once there, he did his errands carefully, to Mr. Bear's surprise, and Mrs. Joe's great satisfaction. The Commodore did growl at Dan's promotion, but was pacified by a superior padlock to his new boathouse, and the thought that seamen were meant for higher honors than driving market wagons and doing family errands. So Dan filled his new office well and contentedly for weeks, and said no more about bolting. But one day, Mr. Bear found him pummeling Jack, who was roaring for mercy under his knee. Why, Dan, I thought you had given up fighting, he said as he went to the rescue. We ain't fighting, we're only wrestling, answered Dan, leaving off reluctantly. It looks very much like it, and feels like it. Hey, Jack, said Mr. Bear as the defeated gentleman got upon his legs with difficulty catch me wrestling with him again, he's most knocked my head off, snarled Jack, holding on to that portion of his frame as if it really was loose upon his shoulders. The fact is, we began in fun, but when I got him down, I couldn't help pounding him. Sorry I hurt you, old fellow, explained Dan, looking rather ashamed of himself. I understand. The longing to pitch into somebody was so strong you couldn't resist. You are a sort of berserker, Dan, and something to tussle with is as necessary to you as music is to Nat, said Mr. Bear, who knew all about the conversation between the boy and Mrs. Joe. Can't help it. So if you don't want to be pounded, you better keep out of the way, answered Dan, with a warning look in his black eyes that made Jack sheer off in haste. If you want something to wrestle with, I will give you a tougher specimen than Jack, said Mr. Bear and leading the way to the woodyard, he pointed out certain roots of trees that had been grubbed up in the spring and had been lying there waiting to be split. There, when you feel inclined to maltreat the boys, just come and work off your energies here and I'll thank you for it. So I will. And seizing the axe that lay near, Dan hauled out a tough root and went at it so vigorously that the chips flew far and wide and Mr. Bear fled for his life. To his great amusement, Dan took him at his word and was often seen wrestling with the ungainly knots, hat and jacket off, red face and wrathful eyes, for he got into the royal rages over some of his adversaries, and swore at them under his breath till he had conquered them, when he exulted and marched off to the shed with an armful of gnarled oak wood in triumph. He blustered his hands, tired his back and dulled the axe, but it did him good, and he got more comfort out of the ugly roots than anyone dreamed, for with each blow, he worked off some of the pent-up power that would otherwise have been expended in some less harmless way. When this is gone, I really don't know what I shall do, said Mrs. Joe to herself, for no inspiration came and she was at the end of her resources. 
But Dan found a new occupation for himself, and enjoyed it some time before anyone discovered the cause of his contentment. A fine young horse of Mr. Lorry's was kept at Plumfield that summer, running loose in a large pasture across the brook. The boys were all interested in the handsome, spirited creature, and for a time were fond of watching him gallop and frisk with his plumy tail flying and his handsome head in the air. But they soon got tired of it and left Prince Charlie to himself, all but Dan. He never tired of looking at the horse and seldom failed to visit him each day with a lump of sugar, a bit of bread, or an apple to make him welcome. Charlie was grateful accepted his friendship, and the two loved one another as if they felt some tie between them, inexplicable but strong. In whatever part of the wide field he might be, Charlie always came at full speed when Dan whistled at the bars, and the boy was never happier than when the beautiful fleet creature put its head on his shoulder, looking up at him with fine eyes full of intelligent affection. "'We understand one another without any palaver, don't we, old fellow?' Dan would say." proud of the horse's confidence, and so jealous of his regard that he told no one how well the friendship prospered, and never asked anybody but Teddy to accompany him on these daily visits. Mr. Lorry came now and then to see how Charlie got on, and spoke of having him broken to harness in the autumn. He won't need much training. He's such a gentle, fine-tempered brute. I shall come out and try him with a saddle myself some day, he said on one of these visits. He lets me put a halter on him, but I don't believe he'll bear a saddle even if you put it on, answered Dan, who never failed to be present when Charlie and his master met. I shall coax him to bear it, and not mind if you tumbles at first. He's never been harshly treated, so though he'll be surprised at the new performance, I think he won't be frightened and his antics will do no harm. I wonder what he would do said Dan to himself as Mr. Lorry went away with the professor, and Charlie returned to the bars from which he had retired when the gentleman came up. A daring fancy to try the experiment took possession of the boy, as he sat on the topmost rail with a glossy back temptingly near him. Never thinking of danger, he obeyed the impulse, and while Charlie unsuspectingly nibbled at the apple he held, Dan quickly and quietly took his seat, he did not keep it long, however, for with an astonished snort, Charlie reared straight up and deposited Dan on the ground. The fall did not hurt him, for the turf was soft, and he jumped up, saying with a laugh, I did it anyway. Come here, you rascal, and I'll try it again. But Charlie declined to approach, and Dan left him resolving to succeed in the end, for a struggle like this suited him exactly. Next time, he took a halter and having got it on, he played with the horse for a while, leading him to and fro, and putting him through various antics till he was a little tired. Then Dan sat on the wall and gave him bread, but watched his chance, and getting a good grip of the halter, slipped onto his back. Charlie tried the old trick, but Dan held on, having had practice with Toby, who occasionally had an obstinate fit and tried to shake off his rider. Charlie was both amazed and indignant, and after prancing for a minute, set off at a gallop, and away went Dan, heels overhead. If he had not belonged to the class of boys who go through all sorts of dangers unscathed, he would have broken his neck. As it was, he got a heavy fall, and lay still collecting his wits while Charlie tore round the field, tossing his head with every sign of satisfaction at the discomfiture of his rider. 
Presently, it seemed to occur to him that something was wrong with Dan. And being of a magnanimous nature, he went to see what the matter was. Dan let him sniff about and perplex himself for a few minutes. Then he looked up at him, saying as decidedly as if the horse could understand, "'You think you've beaten, but you're mistaken, old boy.' and I'll ride you yet, see if I don't. He tried no more that day, but soon after attempted a new method of introducing Charlie to a burden. He strapped a folded blanket on his back and then let him race and rear and roll and fume as much as he liked. After a few fits of rebellion, Charlie submitted and in a few days permitted Dan to mount him, often stopped short to look round as if he said half patiently, half reproachfully, I don't understand it, but I suppose you mean no harm, so I permit the liberty. Dan patted and praised him, and took a short turn every day getting frequent falls, but persisting in spite of them, and longing to try a saddle and bridle, but not daring to confess what he had done. He had his wish, however, for there had been a witness of his pranks who said a good word for him. Do you know what that chap has been doing lately? asked Silas of his master one evening as he received his orders for the next day. "'Which boy?' said Mr. Bear with an air of resignation, expecting some sad revelation. "'Dan, he's been a-breaking the colt, sir, and I wish I may die if he ain't done it,' answered Silas, chuckling. "'How do you know?' "'Well, I kind of keep an eye on the little fellers, and most generally know what they're up to.' So when Dan kept going off to the pasture and coming home black and blue, I mistrusted that something was going on. I didn't say nothing, but I crept up into the barn chamber, and from there I see him going through all manner of games with Charlie. Blessed if he weren't thrown time and again and got knocked round like a bag of meal. But the pluck of that boy did beat all, and he peered to like it and kept on as if bound to beat. But Silas, you should have stopped it. The boy might have been killed, said Mr. Bear wondering what freak his irrepressibles would take into their heads next. Suppose I otter, but there weren't no real danger, for Charlie ain't no tricks, and is as pretty a tempered horse as ever I see. Fact was, I couldn't bear to spile sport, for if there's anything I do admire, it's grit, and Dan is chock full of it. But now I know he's hankering after a saddle and yet won't take even the old one on the sly. So I just thought I'd up and tell, and maybe you'd let him try what he can do. Mr. Lorry won't mind, and Charlie's all the better for it. We shall see. And off went Mr. Bear to inquire into the matter. Dan owned up at once, and proudly proved that Silas was right by showing off his power over Charlie. For by dint of much coaxing, many carrots and infinite perseverance, he really had succeeded in riding the colt with a halter and blanket. Mr. Lorry was much amused and well pleased with Dan's courage and skill, and let him have a hand in all future performances. For he set about Charlie's education at once, saying that he was not going to be outdone by a slip of a boy. Thanks to Dan, Charlie took kindly to the saddle and bridle when he had once reconciled himself to the indignity of the bit. And after Mr. Lorry had trained him a little, Dan was permitted to ride him, to the great envy and admiration of the other boys. Isn't he handsome? And don't he mind me like a lamb? said Dan one day as he dismounted and stood with his arm round Charlie's neck. Yes, and isn't he a much more useful and agreeable animal than the wild colt who spent his days racing about the field, jumping fences and running away now and then, asked Mrs. Bear from the steps, where she always appeared when Dan performed with Charlie. 
Of course he is. See, he won't run away now, even if I don't hold him. And he comes to me the minute I whistle. I've tamed him well, haven't I? And Dan looked both proud and pleased. As well he might. For in spite of their struggles together, Charlie loved him better than his master. I am taming a colt too. And I think I shall succeed as well as you if I'm as patient and persevering, said Mrs. Joe, smiling so significantly at him that Dan understood and answered, laughing yet in earnest. We won't jump over the fence and run away, but stay and let them make a handsome, useful span of us, hey, Charlie? Thank you for joining Bite at a Time Books today, while we read a bite of one of your favorite classics. Again, my name is Bree Carlisle, and I hope you come back tomorrow for the next bite of Little Men. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com and check out the shop. You can check out the show notes or our website, biteatatimebooks.com, for the rest of the links for our show. We'd love to hear from you on social media as well.